Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. Welcome to the 1145 service. Glad that you guys are here. Sleep in service. Always good to see you during these summer times. And uh, life has taught me a very, very simple truth. And the truth is essentially this. It's the older I get, the more I realize it's the little things that matter. Just the little tiny insignificant things that seem to matter so much more than, than everything else that's going on. When, when, uh, when I'm sitting with my wife and she reaches over and she grabs a hold of my hand, it's, it's the little thing that just really seems to matter. If you're struggling and somebody writes out a handwritten note just telling you you're being thought of, you're being prayed for, those little things, they really matter. When, when somebody makes you a handmade gift, instead of just going to a store and buying something off the shelf, but they, they really invest in their soul and their heart, and then they give it to you, but those little tiny things, they're the things that matter. It's, it's when you're struggling and somebody writes out a handwritten prayer, something that they actually talk to God about on your behalf, that, that, that just, it, it just really seems to matter. It's holding a door open for a lady or for a senior and watching the shock on their face when they realize that that being a gentleman is not dead in Whatcom County. I mean, it's those little tiny things that matters. It's it's walking up to a military service person and just say, hey, thanks. Just thanks for what you're doing. It's those little tiny things that matters. It's stopping on the side of the road with somebody whose car has been abandoned, even, even though you, know, you don't know anything about cars whatsoever, but you pull over because you know what it feels like to stand on the side of a road and have everybody drive on past you. It's the little things that matter. It's sending a text to somebody just at the right time when God prompts you to so that they understand that you're thinking and care about them. I got a text on Wednesday, true story. Started reading the text because it was one of those days just needed a little encouragement and, and it said, you are amazing. You are God's gift to so many. You're one of the most phenomenal human beings on the planet. You are the reason that I smile. And at this point, I'm like, this is awesome. I mean, I don't even know who this person is. One person in the world loves me. You know, that's what I'm looking at as I'm reading. And then it continued on. True story. I can't wait to see you wear the dress I bought you. Thanks for being my wife, Dawn. (laughs) I texted back. You had me right up until the dress part. Sorry, dude, wrong number, okay? I mean, it's just one of those things where it's like the guy's trying so hard to get it right. Just send it to the right person, you know? Hopefully that made its way to whoever it needed to. But it, I mean, it's just those little tiny things that matter. And, and today we're going to talk about some little things as a follower of Jesus that just really, really matter in the greater scheme of things. So you can open your Bible, open your outline, or open your app to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, where the Bible starts saying this. It says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. We're going to just do some bite-sized pieces. Okay, that little statement matters. It matters because it reminds us of the fact that the salvation of my soul couldn't be earned by anything that I could possibly do in my own strength. That little phrase, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith, it it, it bears a testimony for all of us that I was a great sinner, but that I have a great Savior. That That little phrase shows me that I couldn't save myself, so I had to reach out and ask God for something I didn't deserve. And what I reached out for and asked for was a pardon. A pardon over sin. And that God didn't give me what I deserved, which was hell forever in pain for a long time. That's what I deserved because of my sin. But instead, he decided to give me something I did not deserve. And he gave me grace instead. That little statement means that I'm saved by God's grace through faith. 
that we would dare to believe that we could reach out to God in faith and that he would reach back, not in judgment and condemnation, but that he would reach back in love and grace. The Bible goes on. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. That means that salvation is not something that not only could I not work it inside of myself, I couldn't even conceive it. That there was nothing I could do to pay a price that, that God had exacted because the price was just too high. There was too great of a, uh, of a sacrifice that was demanded. And so it ended up with me being stuck in this undeserving place and into that vacuum of need. God sent Jesus to ransom my soul and set me free. That makes me constantly aware of a fact. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you should know this too, that I don't deserve the gift I got should have been passed over, was completely unworthy, totally undeserving of of everything that God offered me. And, And just the fact in my brain, trying to comprehend the fact that one who had so much could come to somebody who could contribute absolutely nothing. Those two factors, just they just make a testimony for me. It's a testimony to how easily it was for me to just to completely mess up my life. And it's also a testimony to how amazing God is in gathering up all of the broken pieces of my life and putting them back together again. It matters. It matters. The Bible goes on and says this, Not by works, so that no one can boast. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Let's talk about our good works just for a second. I'm going to just be honest. The Bible offends me when it talks about my good works. And if you know what it said about your good works, it should offend you too. Because basically what the Bible says is all the best stuff we have, the best right living when we wear that breastplate of righteousness before God, all of the best stuff we have to offer in front of God doesn't mean jack. In fact, Scripture actually says this. It says, all of my righteousness is like a filthy rag. That offends me. That ticks me off. I mean, it, I mean, it doesn't even count as a, as, as a newly laundered rag. It's like, no, it's a filthy rag. It's disgusting. It's dirty. I look at that and go, man, God has so high standards. If he looks at my good works like that, that just ticks me off. In fact, as a human being, it kind of works in my brain like this. Well, if God has such a low view of all the good stuff that I'm trying to do down here, maybe I'll just stop doing good stuff altogether. Maybe I'll just decide to be bad. Maybe I'll just kind of drift over here onto the evil side of things. And instead of being the nice guy, I'm just going to be the bad guy for a while. I mean, if all of this good stuff goes off the table, you know what that means for me? That means the next time I'm at Costco and the guy in front of me pulls out 11 gas cherry cans in front of me, I'm going to my trunk, I'm going to get a stick and I'm going to chase them all out of our county once and for all, okay? Don't clap, it would be the wrong time, okay? Just so you know. But it's kind of like if God doesn't think that highly of my good works, why should I do them at all? Well, let's make sure we understand what God is saying by that. He's reminding of us something. It's the next point in your outline. I'm not saved by doing good works. Being a courteous driver won't save your soul. Holding open a door, it's not going to save you. Signing a petition won't save you. Smiling and waving to people, that's not going to save you. Getting baptized, not going to save you. Sponsoring an orphan, not going to save you. 
you're part of Ecclesia, you're doing the whole drinks for drinks things, doing wells in Africa, it's not going to save you. It's all good, and you should do it, but it's not going to save you. I mean, it was wonderful last weekend. We had 106 orphans that needed to be sponsored. They needed somebody to dare to care. You know how many of them got sponsored? All of them. Every single one. Now, that's good and awesome, but that won't save you. Living like Mother Teresa, selling everything and moving to India, that's not going to save you. And the reason that God wants to remind us of this is, so, is because he doesn't want us to take any of the credit for our good works for ourselves. Because that's what happens, right? We start good, doing good things, and all of a sudden it's like, I need a few accolades here, right? Look at all the good stuff I'm doing, God. I need you to pat me on the back just a little bit. The reality is this. None of the glory for our good works is supposed to go to us. That's why we're supposed to be reminded that this is not about us. That God does not exist to make me famous. I exist to make Him famous. Amen? Amen? All of us, we exist to make Him famous. That's why Scripture says it's not of works so that we can't brag about anything but the amazing grace of Jesus. And the amazing grace of Jesus is what pushes us out to do all those little things because those little things really, really matter. Next blank in your outline. It's so true that I can take no credit for God saving me. In fact, as a follower of Jesus, I would say this. Always remember this. You should never, ever, 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 ever brag about what you've done for God, but you should continuously boast about everything that God has done for you. The Bible goes on. It says, we are God's workmanship. Let me give you a simple translation of that. It's that I am God's property and God's poetry. Okay, the word workmanship comes from the Greek word poema, which we get our word poem from. God's literally describing us here as God's best poetry. Have you ever thought of yourself as a verbal masterpiece from God? Let me answer the question for you. The answer is you haven't, because most of you don't have any idea what good poetry sounds like, okay? Because your experience of poetry is some college guy trying to write a poem for his girlfriend that's just bad, and you shouldn't do that anyway, okay? (laughs) Guys, let me do you a big favor right now, okay? If you're ever trying to write your girlfriend a poem, and you're trying to rhyme the word dude, it's not going to go well for you at all, okay? I'm just shooting straight, okay? Guys, anything with roses or red in it, that's not good poetry, okay? Leave it to Hallmark, put down your pen, surrender it for the love of Jesus. Please don't do... Let me get on a soapbox here. I'll go one step further. Don't sing, okay? Unless you're like the 1% of guys that could actually sing, the, radi- the realization is actually this. You can't sing. You think you can sing because you're always singing with Tim McGraw or whoever, but the reality is you can't sing at all. He sounds good. You sound lousy. I'll be your American Idol judge. Just find a day job. Do something different than that. So don't sing and don't write good, bad poetry. Ladies of Christ the King, you're welcome. Okay? All right. All right? I'm not talking about bad poetry. I'm talking about you seeing yourself as God's verbal masterpiece that paints a picture of God's fingerprints on your soul. I'm talking about a free verse that just 
stirs the deepest emotion and wants to make you stand up and shout. I'm talking about God's verbal string that makes your heart sing and transforms your tears into cheers. I mean, I'm talking about the most beautiful compilation of ideas and thoughts and property that you could imagine as God's representation of you. You know, the reality is we are all compilations, every single one of us. I'm a compilation of the prayers of my grandmother and the corrective stare of my mom. I'm a compilation of the work ethic of my father and the gentleness of my grandpa. I'm a mixture of the preaching of Bob Dunlop and the teaching of Franklin McDowell. I'm a swirl of the wisdom of John Haviland, the creativity of Randy Borland and the artistry of Pastor Mike. I learned how to listen to God from Pastor Melanie Kemp. I've learned how to talk to God from two intercessors, one named Diana and the other named Punky. I'm under the masterful teaching of how you walk by faith and not by sight. I'm being taught that by my beautiful wife of 24 years. I've learned how to love every single moment of every single day. I learned that from my friend Colin. I learned how to persevere from my friend Steve. I learned how to humble myself from my friend Dan, how to give life, my life away in serving from my friend Mark, how to love unconditionally from my friend Sam, how to pray like my friend Henrich, how to be even keeled from my friend Gary, how to be passionate like my friend Jim, how to be honest like my friend JD, how to love every moment of life from my daughter McKenna, and how to run through pain from my son Braden. Just a compilation. All compilations, and we're all made up of these little tiny deposits that God uses and pours out of people into our lives. And the reason we are so blessed is because each of those little deposits matter. You're God's best work. He spoke life into you. He speaks life through you. He made you so you are His. His property and His poetry. It means you have been crafted by a master craftsman, whether you believe that to be true or not. You know, I I argued with God a lot about this next little piece here because I thought it was just such a cliche. I mean, I've grown up in church. I've I've heard this since I was a little kid. And I'm like, I am not going to use that thing in the message. I argued with Jesus and I lost. So here it comes. Well, it was battered and scarred and the auctioneer thought that it was hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good people, he cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar. Do I hear two? Two dollars. Who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going, going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played out a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as an angel sings. The music ceased in the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low. He said, what now am I bid for this old violin? And he held it aloft with its bow. One thousand, one thousand, do I hear two? Two thousand, who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. And the audience cheered, but some of them cried, we don't understand what changed its worth. 
Swift came the reply. It was a touch from the master's hand. And many a man with his life out of tune, all battered with baggage and sin, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of pain, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd can never quite understand that the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by a simple touch of the master's hand. I guess it doesn't matter how it looks. I guess what matters is who made it and who plays it. The Bible continues, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Well, what does that mean? It means simply this, that I'm not saved by good works, but for good works. This means the little things that I do actually matter, not for the sake of my salvation, but for the opportunity of others to be saved. Could it be that the reason you do something good this coming week is not so you'll get any accolades or glory, but that so somebody could look at you and their eyes would be deflected immediately, not towards your soul, but to the one who saved you. It's the little things that matter. And there, Scripture actually says that God has a master plan meticulously laid out for you this week because this little passage f- uh, finishes itself up with this one little phrase. It says, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has created in advance for us to do, which means this. Um, Sunday happens in one hour on a Sunday morning slash afternoon. There's 167 other hours during the week that God wants you to be a minister. That's the final little piece there, that I'm a minister of God's amazing grace for the sake of other people. But the reality is we don't often see ourselves as ministers, do we? We think a minister is a guy up at the front with a microphone who appears to have his life together and therefore gets to do weddings and funerals while he prays and quotes scripture all the time. And that guy could never possibly have road rage because the peace of God won't allow it. And he never fights with his wife or kids because he's mastered self-control and all of his prayers get answered because Jesus gave him a bat phone and, and then everything in his life always goes perfect for him because he's got this spiritual title and with the title comes this spiritual coating of Teflon. So Nothing bad ever sticks. and He's humble and wise and funny because that's the way Jesus was. And somehow God loves him more than me because his life is perfect and mine sucks. And the reason is, is because he's a minister and I'm not. And if you believe anything that I just said, you're wrong. Have not mastered self-control, not even close. Struggle with the same issues that everybody else does inside of this room. Don't have a bat phone in my desk. Boy, do I wish I did. In fact, the most common answer that I often get from God to my prayer requests is the word that you guys often get too, and the word is no. And I'm challenged in those moments to believe that that's for my protection, and that's a struggle just as much for me as it is for everybody else in the room. The Bible says that we are all ministers all of the time. So if you think I'm the only minister in the room, you're wrong. If you think you're not a minister, you're wrong. That would make you 0 for 2 in the last three minutes. 
How's that feel, okay? The Bible says we're ministers all the time, which means the setup guys in Ferndale who got up early this morning to do church out there, they are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who are going to come early tonight to set up church in Southern Valley, they are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, uh, if uh, the, all the people that are in the tech booth right now who are making sure that you can see the pictures on the screens and, and the only time you ever notice them is when they actually make a mistake, which doesn't happen very often. They are not simply pushing buttons on a, on, on a soundboard or on a, on a video con- console. They are actually working right now in the office as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means every single one of you in this room right now is a minister, which means you're ministering when you fill out your time card accurately so you don't rip off your boss You're a minister when you treat people with love and respect in a grocery store. You're a minister whether you're fixing pipes or fixing computers or putting out a fire or working in a grocery store or working as a pastor. Every single one of us as a follower of Jesus is a minister all of the time and every single thing you do matters. A couple of months ago, I did a funeral for a guy named Brian. Brian did not have an easy life. Christ the King Church was his home. It was his home because we've got this little phrase that we throw around here that really, really matters to some people. And the phrase is this, it's okay to not be okay. Not okay to stay not okay, but it's okay to not be okay here. And so Brian made his way here and and he'd come and hang out with us. And when Brian passed away and they cleaned out where Brian lived, they actually found a little pile of Christ the King programs. And inside of the programs were sermon notes where he'd written out in kind of a journal form all of the bumps that he had on the rocky road of his relationship with Jesus. And it's okay to have a bumpy road too. I haven't been able to get those programs out of my mind because the reality is those programs don't just show up. Every Thursday afternoon about 2 o'clock, A group of volunteers, they come and they put all that stuff inside of those programs and they get them ready for everybody that's coming on the weekend. They are humble and they don't like any attention and they're going to kill me when uh, they find out that I've actually been talking about them all weekend and I would never mention their names, but their initials are Bill, Casey, Faye, Connie, Audrey, and Sherry. Some of you got that. The room that they stuff programs in is meticulously clean all of the time. And the reason it's cleaned is because people like Thomas and Suzanne actually think that that matters. So they come and they stuff programs and on Saturday evening they get rolled out here and we hand off the programs to a group of people named Wayne and Jenna and Butch and DJ and Martin and they hand out programs and they stand at the doors and they smile at people and sometimes it's the only time somebody sees a smile all week and they hand them this little piece of paper that kind of holds the heart of Christ the King and the reason they hand it out is just simply because it matters. Brian wasn't super comfortable just walking in any door, so he used to come in the same door every Saturday night because that door was manned by a guy by the name of Martin, and Martin and Brian's stories were actually pretty similar. And Brian felt safe walking in Martin's door. And the reason he felt safe is because Martin's life really, really matters. Before he'd come in, he'd go and grab a cup of hot coffee, and he'd work his way in, and And we may not think about it because we get so used to the coffee being in the commons, but the reality is just the fact that it's there matters. 
And it's made by people who get here hours before you even show up just to make sure that you've got something and, and new people walk in and they're always looking for the little can because they think we actually charge something for it and they're kind of surprised that, that we would just give it away and the reality is we give it away because somebody here just sticks their tithe inside of an offering envelope and it matters. And some of you think that the reason that we actually give coffee away is so the Christians will feel really comfortable here. Actually, we give away coffee to the non-Christian people and the unchurched people who are here because their experience has been pretty much that Christians are kind of weird and freaky, and I like to put a hot liquid in their hand in case you do something weird so they got something to throw, just so you know, okay? Just being straight, all right? And the guys who make the coffee, they kind of create these little friendship groups, kind of like the friendship groups that meet all over the county that are filled with high school students that are, that are led sometimes by leaders that are twice their age and, and they can't quite figure out why in the world that adult would take an interest in high school students. And the only reason I can tell you they do is because they think it matters. See, the reality is this. You are not looking at the minister of Christ the King Community Church. I am looking at the ministers of Christ the King Community Church. And what you do and how you live matters. So that means, again, this week, whether or not you work an honest day's work for an honest wage, it matters. Not just to your boss, but to the God that you serve. If you're singing a song up on a stage or holding somebody's hand in a hospital room, it matters. If you're a six-year-old kid who goes up and puts together a, a dandelion bouquet and takes it to your mom because you recognize how much she does for you, that matters. If, if you're a husband right now and you appreciate your wife and you want to reach over right this second, that would be a clue, okay? And grab her hand just because she's been awesome all week long. It's those little tiny things that matter. And you would never put that into the category of ministry, but I'm here to tell you today, it's absolutely ministry. And we need to understand this. One hour a week is not where ministry happens. Ministry happens into the 167 other hours of the week when God takes His church and dispenses them out amongst the people of Whatcom County. When I was telling Brian's story, one of the things that, that just was amazing to me is the coffee that Brian would hold in his hand was prayed over by intercessors and intercessors who love to pray. And they hide up in the corners of Christ the King Community Church. And the reason they're there is because they're praying that every single Brian in Whatcom County would come through our doors. But they're also praying that every single one of the, the ministers of Christ the King would understand that you have been meticulously designed by God to go out and do the ministry that he has meticulously listed out that's waiting for you starting the second you walk out our doors. I'm doing my ministry. And now for the next 167 hours, it's up to you till we see each other again next week. Leading a small group matters. Being a part of a Christ the King community matters. Serving at ski to sea matters. You know why? Because my Bible says that a cup of cold water given in Jesus' name makes God sit up and take notice. And I don't care if they're a tired racer or just somebody who needs to know somebody else cares. 
that simple gesture matters to God. Whether you're supposed to be dedicating your children in a class, it matters. Whether you're supposed to sign up as a greeter, it matters. Whether you're supposed to sponsor an orphan, it matters. Not for your salvation, but for the salvation that God has meticulously placed of the people whose lives surround yours. That's what my Bible says. That's what I can confidently tell you today is God's Word, hopefully, for you. That allows me to be able to boldly say, Thus saith the Lord. What you do with it is up to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the little truth of your word that brings great application to us. Father, I pray for each and every person in the room today. Lord, your word just said that you have 167 hours planned out this week for the ministers of Christ the King to do their thing. I pray in the name of Jesus that they would respond with obedience that they would have eyes to see and ears to hear what it is that you have called them to do. Father, may they minister well as ministers of the gospel of Jesus. Father, we give ourselves to this very, very, very good work. Would you come and take up residence in our lives because the little things that seem so insignificant to us They really, truly matter. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. All of God's ministers agreed together and said, Amen.